If you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, that's where we will uh, be today as we continue to go through the book of 1 Samuel. And today uh, we are picking up where we left off last week where Saul, after uh, what seems to be, at least in Scripture-wise, a short period of time, has been rejected as king. Saul was made the first king over Israel after the people demanded a king. Samuel told them that was a bad idea. Bring Saul, the the tallest, best-looking candidate for the job, as the Bible says, and makes him king over Israel. But then very quickly, we see in Scripture that he disobeyed God. He wasn't obedient to him. We see that he uh, he, he was not obedient in following the Lord's commands. He was rash in his decision-making. He did things that were not lawful for him to do, making sacrifices that were not in his place to do it, uh, seeking God in a way that wasn't what he should be doing. And so God rejected Saul and has said that he will r- raise up a new king. And we see in 1 Samuel thirteen fourteen how he said he was going to do that. But now your kingdom shall not continue. This is Samuel talking to Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And if you're familiar with Scripture, if you're familiar with people in the Bible, you know who the next king is and you know who we refer to as a man after God's own heart. So let's go to the, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare to read this morning. Father, I pray that you will be with us this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that we have in your scripture to look and to see uh, who you are and how you've worked in in the history of your people and and how we can learn from that today. God, I pray that as we look at this this story of of David becoming king, that you will help us to see uh, what we can learn about ourselves and about who you are and how we can leave this place changed to live faithfully for you. God, I pray that we would just be focused on your word and what you say to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to read all of chapter 16. Let's starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go if Saul hears it? He will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but looks on the outward. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. 
And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent him, and he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a, sp- a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let, your, let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David to his, David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again as we continue this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we, look to, we have to look upon it and to see your truth, to see who you are, to see what you've done. And God, I pray as we look at this story of David and, and your anointing of him and, this, and of Saul and your rejection of him and how we can learn what it means to follow you and what we can learn from this, I pray that we would be faithful in simply looking at what you say to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So today what we see very clearly is that Saul has been rejected, and David has been anointed the king. Now, Samuel, for his part, was a little frustrated about this. He said, how long will you grieve Saul being, being king, since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? God sends him to go and anoint his next king. Now, Samuel is not very happy about this task because he knows that Saul will likely hear about it, and so he is making a sacrifice as he goes. So the first thing we're seeing in this passage, the first thing that we want to pay attention to is the Lord's choosing. The Lord's choosing and who He chooses and also who He rejects. I want you to think about the standards that you have when you choose people for various activities. Whatever it might be, you're going to have a certain criteria you're going to look for, right? If you want uh, to go on, and you're playing on a, on a sports team, you're probably going to look for the people that appear to be the most athletic. If you're looking for, for people to, for, a, for a job, you're going to look at their resume and see if they have any experience with what you're trying to do. You're going to look for the people who are the most qualified, most experienced, and, and for something like a king, you would look for who could be the best leader, the person most qualified for the job. But we see in this situation that the Lord's choosing is not like our choosing. 
God actually very clearly says this to Samuel. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's what he said about Eliab, the first son of Jesse that comes before him, the oldest son. Right When we think about the history of the Bible, we think about the way people interacted at this time. Who was the one who received the inheritance? Who was the one who received the blessing, the leader in the lineage of the family? The oldest son. And so when Jesse, when, when Samuel is told that Jesse has the, the next king among his sons, the first son comes, he's tall, he, he seems to be the man for the job. Samuel is convinced that's the man for the job. And he says, don't look on his outward appearance. For the Lord does not see as man sees, the Lord looks at his heart. What do we see about the last person that had the right outward appearance? Saul was, as it said, a head taller than everyone in Israel. He was the most handsome. It said that twice. It just, I can't get over that. He said that twice about him. He was the most handsome man in all of Israel. And yet we see that he was not faithful to the Lord. We saw that last week. He was insecure in his motives. He was selfishly concerned in his motives. And so the Lord rejected him. You see, the, the, the Lord's choosing is so unlike our choosing that when, when Jesse brought his sons to this important meeting with the prophet of God. Hey, somebody's got to stay back and watch the, sh the sheep. David, you're the youngest. Stay back and watch the sheep. He wasn't even brought to the meeting. He was left in a field tending his sheep, which I think is fitting. We think about how often we hear the Lord referred to. We think about often the metaphor that, that God uses about his people and those who lead his people. The Lord is my shepherd and the king that he is calling is working as a shepherd the unexpected is who god will often use when we look at this story one of the things that's so much more clear about this and, and how god uses the unexpected is we think about jesse jesse is the grandson of ruth and boaz we think about the story of ruth who was ruth she was an outsider. She wasn't an Israelite. She wasn't a Jewish person. She was an outsider that married into a family, was widowed, and went with Naomi, her mother-in-law, and married Boaz. But who is Boaz? Boaz is the son of, of Salmon and Rahab. And who is Rahab? Rahab is the, the prostitute that helped the people of Israel that said, I know that the Lord of Israel is God, and I will help you, and hid the spies. Both of these two women, who are not the people you would think would be the people God would use, were the people God used, and they are now in the lineage of Jesus, because they are in the lineage of David. Think about any person in Scripture. How are they used by God? Not because they are often the best and the most capable, but because God moves in them. Because His calling is based on the heart, not on outward appearance. His calling is based on the heart. And this is what we see. that it, We know this so often. How often do you have a relationship or you have someone that does something? When you ask your spouse or a close friend to do something, and they say, okay, and they begrudgingly do it. How does that make you feel? 
It's not very good, is it? You, you want someone's heart to be in the right place. Someone brings you flowers and doesn't even want to talk to you. It's not a very good, the action means very little because the heart is not there. Our actions mean so much less in our relationship with God than our attitude in the, the condition of our heart. The reason I say this, God transforms us and our actions are transformed after that. If we approach God thinking that we will earn His trust, if we think we will earn His favor, if we think that by our own merit we are something before Him, we've already gotten it wrong. It is through a right attitude, a right relationship with God that we will be saved. It is, it is not ritual. It is not doing the right things as we saw last week with Saul. That's why he was rejected. He saw the people departing and, and so he made the sacrifice that he was not supposed to make. He wants a right relationship. A man after his own heart is who God said he would raise up. Not a person seeking to do only the right things, but a person with the right heart, the right relationship with God. This is the power of faith in the life of individuals. We look through Hebrews 11, and it talks about how all of the people of old were, were justified by faith. They believed God, and it was counted to them as righteousness. Their faith is what led them to do the actions that showed their faith. By faith, Abraham trusted God and left where he was to go and to be where God called him to be. By, by faith, Rahab did what she did. By faith, Ruth went with Naomi because they believed in God. They believed what God would do. When we see the rejection of Saul, what do we see a, an alarming lack of? There's an alarming lack of faith. Before he's facing battle, the people are deserting. The people are leaving. Samuel hasn't come yet. I've got to do this sacrifice myself. When he should have trusted that God would be with his people. When God told him to do something a certain way, he thought his way was better. There was no faith in what God was doing. So God choosing is based upon the heart and a relationship with Him begins with having faith in who He is, not in what we do. And again, this is not something that we can determine. We don't campaign for or seek the Lord's using, using us for His purposes. Seeking the Lord's influence with impure motives will not work. We can't see how God works in other people's lives and say, well, how do I get that? Do you think you remember Simon the sorcerer in Acts where he sees the apostles working miracles and he says, how can I purchase the Holy Spirit? It's not how we interact with God. It is not something that we can pursue and acquire through our own force of action. And in this, we also see God's providence for those He calls. We see how God has orchestrated and worked within the life of David to prepare him for what He will do. We'll see that more specifically next week as we look at David's story. So we see the Lord's choosing and the Lord's rejection. The Lord has rejected Saul because of his wrong relationship with him, his lack of faith, and has chosen David because he sees the heart. But next we also see the Lord's blessing. The Lord's blessing. 
And in this, we have to accept that the Lord accepts and rejects at various levels. The first thing we see is, because there's the Lord's blessing and then also the Lord's cursing. At the end of this chapter, we see that the Holy Spirit leaves Saul and a harmful spirit comes to Saul. This is kind of reminiscent, as we see, of Judges 16.20 with Samson. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. We're going to get to this part, but the important thing to understand as we go through this is that all of the things people do in Scripture, all of the miraculous things, the amazing things, are done through the power of God within them. Not because of their own merit or strength. Samson, this strong warrior, only was a strong warrior because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. And so we see here that the Holy Spirit leaves Saul and a harmful, harmful spirit comes. Needs a, a musician to soothe him. You know, it might seem as though this is a, a depression kind of spirit that has come upon him. It's kind of a, a difficult thing at times to understand. Why would God do this? Why would God send a harmful spirit to Saul? But when we look at how God works and moves among his people, we see many other examples of similar things that we understand on, on how God works. What does God do when his people have utterly rejected him? He allows what? A, a foreign nation to overwhelm and overtake them. Why? So they will see their need for him. And so Saul has already gone pretty far into his rejection of the Lord. He was disobedient. He rejected God. He was, not gonna, he was not allowing God to work in his life. And now he's been rejected as king. But what is he still acting as? King. His rejection of who God is is so far that he won't even understand and, and believe what God is saying. He is staying in position of king when God has rejected him as king. So we see that God disciplines those who are in His service. Now, in the New Testament, we don't see anything that, that God works in this way where the Holy Spirit is, is given and taken because it, God is working in a new way. Not everyone had the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. It was those who were, who were who it was given to. But we can be sure that when we disobey God and we stray from Him, that there will be times where the Lord will discipline us what is discipline for? When you discipline your children or when you are disciplined by the law, if you go to jail, what is the purpose of it? Reform. Helping you to repent and go a new direction. The hope is that if you go to jail, you're not going to leave jail and do the same thing again. The hope when you discipline your children is that they will understand and they will learn from the process. But we see that Saul does not learn. And the thing that, that seems to be most ironic of it all is that the one who soothes him in this state that he gets into is the one who will replace him. So we see the Lord's the cursing aspect of this, right? So shall, I think Job says that, shall we accept good from the Lord and not bad? Shall we only accept the good things but not his rebuke? And so we see that with Saul. 
But we also see David is now empowered by the Holy Spirit. We see the giving of the Spirit of the Lord. He will do, David's going to do many incredible things throughout his lifetime. He would come to be known as Israel's greatest king, a man after God's own heart. All of this was possible and only possible through the empowering of God's Holy Spirit within him. David may have had the right heart toward God, but the things that David did were not of his own power. We talk about the one that's one of the most memorable next week, David fighting Goliath. That was not because David was a mighty warrior in and of himself, but because he trusted in the Lord and had the Holy Spirit within him. And it is through the same Holy Spirit that the Lord empowers His work today. God works through people influenced by the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus promised in John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring, your, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is how His people will be guided. If you think in your life as you seek to follow God, there is the Holy Spirit within you bringing to your remembrance His Scripture, bringing to your remembrance His truth so that you can live the life that He's calling you to live through the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And we think about this at Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes to the disciples and God moves powerfully in the world around them. But though we are given the Holy Spirit, it also requires that we will be obedient to His leading. Because Saul, when he disobeyed God, had the Holy Spirit. But he did not listen to what the Holy Spirit was leading him to do. We, we see this idea with the concept of the grieving of the Holy Spirit. When God guides you to do something through the power of the Holy Spirit within you, you should listen to what He is calling you to do. When God guides you to act in a certain way, when He guides you to interact with people, to share the gospel, you should be obedient to the Lord's leading through His Holy Spirit. Because though we may have the Holy Spirit, we can still be disobedient to what He calls us to. That's where we must be obedient and submit to Him in that. And then through this, we see how we enter into the Lord's service. We enter into the Lord's service. David, the first place that he is placed as the king, the anointed king of Israel, is as the musician to the rejected king of Israel. So David has been anointed king, and he is, comes and is, re, and is serving the rejected king as his armor bearer and musician. And Saul loved him and depended on David, who was the one who would ultimately replace him. So what we're seeing here is that God's finish line, where God, what God has for you in this life, is not where you start. Right? We, we, we talk about when we follow God, when someone, we, we love telling testimonies, stories of salvation. People who were lost and wandering and living in this life of sin, and they come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And it's beautiful when God changes and transforms a heart. But what do we know? Is that the moment that you make Christ your Lord and your Savior and you follow in obedience and baptism, that is the beginning of your journey with the Lord. 
That is the beginning of your life, serving Him and being in the Lord's service. And there is no way that the moment that you get saved is what the Lord intends to leave you as. He, will, he has justified you. Justification. You are saved. You are declared righteous because of the blood of Christ. And then you are sanctified, conformed to His likeness, being made like Christ through the rest of your life. We often want to be at the finish line as soon as we start. Right? This idea that we don't like things that take time. I think a lot more people would, would stick to diets if they just didn't take so long. If working out didn't take so long to see the progress. You ever gotten into a car with your, with your children or you remember being a child and as soon as you get down the road, how much longer? We like to go to the beach or Disney World, but we don't like the drive to get there. I want you to think for a moment with me about how old David was when these things happened in his life. Some of the approximations are that when David was anointed king, he was around 10 to 15 years old. He was a child. And then when he fights Goliath, he was around 16 to 19. Old enough that they would let him do it, but not old enough that he was already in military service. Do you know how David was when he became king? actual reigning king of Israel, 30 years old. So from the time he was anointed as king of Israel by Samuel, 15 to 20 years have passed. Now the 30-year-old the, the date, we know that for sure. The Bible says that. The other ones are speculation. 15 to 20 years to be what God has declared him to be. And some of that time, as we're going to see as we go through this book, was, was not easy. He's, he at times faced great difficulty simply being who God, being in the place God had called him to be. Most people can do most things, but most people are not willing to put the time into being able to do them. I want, I want to explain to you what I mean by that. Most people can do most things, but are not willing to put the time into being able to do them. Now, this is not a motivational moment. I'm not trying to motivate you to in your, your non-spiritual life, but it is true. There are a lot of things in this world that, that require some level of skill, but it's also a lot of practice and knowledge. That's one of the things that has kind of, one of my great hobbies and things I enjoy doing is photography. But do you know what? That if you happen to be standing in the same place with the same settings and press the button at the right time as, as any other, as the person who took a, a famous picture, you would be capable of doing that. You're not physically incapable of doing that. There are some things, some gifts, some abilities. I mean, I don't think no matter how hard I work, I'm going to be in the NBA. Some of you laughed a little too hard up there. But do you know what I do know? Is that if I wanted to be the best basketball player I could be, I am nowhere near my potential. And so when we look at our faith, and we look at what God calls us to do, we look at the service of the Lord, you might look and you might be like, there are theologians who know Hebrew and Greek, and they can read and translate as they read Greek into the English language, and they don't even have to read a translated Bible. They can, there are missionaries that have learned multiple languages so they can go and share the gospel in many languages. 
And we can see all of these people who've done great. We, we look at David as he goes to fight Goliath in this next chapter we're going to look at next week. And we look at these people who've done these great things and we think, man, I sure wish I could be like that. I wish I could do those things, but I guess God just doesn't have that in the plans for me. And it's the same when we look in our life around at people and we say, man, these people are really, they've got a really successful life. They've, they have no money worries. Or these people have really gotten really good at this skill. They just are so gifted naturally. Oftentimes in life when we look at people who are the best at anything, what do we see in their lifetimes? That person who wins a gold medal at the Olympics, was that an, was that an isolated incident? Or do they spend their entire life preparing for one moment? And if we want to be who God calls us to be, if we want to do amazing things for the Lord, if we want to be able to do what God calls us to do, to be the best who God calls us to be, because here's the thing, you may not be like some of the people you see. You may not ever be a missionary across the world speaking another language, sharing the gospel. You may not ever know biblical languages and be able to read those things in that way. But do you know what you can be? You can be a lot better at following Christ as you than you were when you got saved. Than you are today. We were talking in, in Sunday school about this a little bit, how there's a lot of things in, in school for them that if they look, or, or in their hobbies or in their life, that if they look at where they were when they started and those things that they're doing now, how much they've grown. If you think about the math you learn in elementary school, what's the, some of the addition, right? You have one apple, and you have another apple, and now how many apples do you have? Two apples. By the time you graduate high school, you sure better know a lot more than one plus one equals two. How many people go through their life with an elementary understanding of who God is and who in His Word. They learn what they learned in Sunday school growing up. They learn uh, the, the truth of God. They, they get saved. They learn this truth. And they sit there with it. They let it fester. They don't do anything to grow in their faith. Because if we would put the time in God's service, being prepared to learn more, to grow in our faith, to endure trials for our benefit, we would become far more capable in our service to the Lord. If in our obedience we would value it like we value other things, we would be far more capable in our service to the Lord. I think often this doesn't occur because people like to see the finish line and not the path to get there. We have to serve when and where we are called. Well, if, if I'm going to serve God more, how do I know where He wants me to start? What opportunities do you have? The first place that David... Can you think of how awkward that might have been? I think David knew what happened. David knew that he'd been anointed king. And where does he go? To serve the king that had been rejected. To play music for him. To calm him. To be his armor bearer. Do you think that was always the most comfortable place? Now, he, he, now Saul did love him. He probably experienced some, some comfort. 
But he must have known there were other people there too when David was anointed king. Do you think he ever worried that Saul would find out? That Saul would take action against David? We have to serve when and where we are called. They won't always be the most glamorous callings. Serving God is not always glamorous. It is not always the peak moments, the pinnacle moments of perfection that we see. We like to think about David slaying Goliath, but we don't think about the years of service he spent playing music for a king that was slowly losing his mind. And that's genuinely what was happening with Saul. He was beginning to lose his mind, as we'll see by the end of 1 Samuel. We may not always like how God calls us to serve. It may not always be glamorous, but we may not always like how God calls us to serve. One of the things that Scripture is pretty clear about is the people we're supposed to love are often the people who do not love us. They might reject us. They might hate us, as we will see what happens with David and Saul. We're called to serve in hard places. Our service to God should not be dependent upon where God has called us to serve. And what I mean by that is I don't think we, we cannot say I will serve if you put me in the right place. One of my least favorite questions I used to get, and, and I will say I have not gotten this one since I've been working with the youth here. Do you know my least favorite question, question I always get? Hey, we have this, we're going to camp, we have this event. Who else is going? I might go if the right people are going. I might do this if the right people are showing up. I might do this if it fits conveniently into my schedule. I might do this if I want to do this. Our service to God cannot be dependent upon our preconditions. God calls us. He empowers us with the Holy Spirit to do the work He calls us to. And we must be obedient to putting in that time, putting in the, the, the time serving Him, growing in our knowledge, growing in our faith, and growing to be the person that He calls us to be. Because I can promise you this, if you do nothing that God calls you to, if God has given you the, the opportunity in your life to do an amazing thing for Him, to, to step boldly in faith, to stand firm when others don't, if you don't do the little things throughout your life, I, I don't think you'll do those big things. If you don't walk faithfully daily with the Lord, when you have the opportunity to do something hard and big for the Lord, you'll probably let it slip by. Because the moments that we see that happen in, in any, everything in life are the culmination of all the things that were done before those moments. And if you want to be prepared to lead someone to Christ, you want to be prepared to witness boldly for Christ, you want to be prepared to, to lead and to teach, it takes faithful service to the Lord, even when it's hard, even when you don't want to, and even when it's difficult. But the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will empower you to do what He's called you to do. But all of that, all of that is dependent upon having a relationship with God. When you approach the Lord, when you think about having a relationship with God, it is not about 
doing enough good things. It is not about trying to be a good person. It is about believing in who He is and trusting in who He is. And the benefit that we have that David and, and these people did not have at that time is that we know God's plan for our redemption. We know that we are sinful. Every single one of us is sinful. We know that that redemption is through the, the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That He died so that whoever would believe, whoever would call on the name of the Lord, would be saved. And so today, if you sit here and you don't have that relationship with God, you've been trying to earn it, you've been trying to do the right things, you've been trying to live the right way on your own power, today is the day to realize the only way of salvation is through what Jesus has done for you. And if you have realized that, how have you been living into your faith? If you examine your life today compared to a year ago, how much have you grown in your faith? A lot of things can change in a year. Think about the world about three years ago. How much has changed? How much has your faith changed? When is the last time you can look at in your life there's been significant change in your faith? For many, it's a long time. Or, or the, the faith is not, the, the, the growth in faith is not, is not significant compared to how long it's been. If that is you this morning, today is the day to repent of the way that you've been wasting time, precious time that God has given you, and seek to live faithfully with what time the Lord has given you that remains. What people can you share that good news that you've hoped in with in your life? And can you believe and trust that the same Holy Spirit that did all of these wonderful things we see in Scripture is the same Holy Spirit that can empower you to be faithful and do things in your life? Share your faith. Live for God. Wherever you may be today, today is the time to respond to what the Lord has done for you. And in a few moments after we pray, Becky's going to come and we're going to have a time of invitation. And I invite you to respond to how God is moving in your life this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us. I thank you for this time that we can gather together and we can look at your word. And I pray that you would convict us, Lord of whether we have followed you faithfully and, and taken the time that you've given us and, and sought to have served you where you've placed us or whether we have considered our plans as more significant. God, I pray that you would help us to examine our hearts and see whether we have trusted you in faith truly or whether we have been approaching you out of ritual and trying to do things a certain way. God, I pray that you would help us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live as you call us to live. And if any do not know you this morning, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.